have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9. Thank you, platform workers and musicians. I haven't heard the singers for a while, and so it's good to hear them in the new setup we have up here. Praise God. Matthew chapter 9, a 2000 survey, 2007 survey. It was very interesting and very telling, and I know this is pre-COVID and some things might have shifted, but I don't believe this much. 82% the number of unchurched people who are receptive to attending a church if invited or escorted by a friend or an acquaintance. 21% are the number of church-going Christians who invited someone the year before. So that tells us that there is a harvest and it is ready to be reaped. One of the focuses of conference, Richard Ruby's tremendous sermon about extraction and trying to rescue as many people as we possibly can, and this is accomplished by evangelism, discipleship, and planting churches. And that is the focus of what we're about and who we are. I want to look with you at the heart of Jesus, workers for the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, and the Bible says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers into the fields. I want to talk to you firstly about the thought of the heart of God revealed here. Jesus is going through and he has a moment, if you will. That in this time he has this moment where he's just looking at the brokenness of humanity. He's looking at the awesome need that is being presented before him and it moves him to compassion to feeling something for them uh, to have a heart that is towards them he sees them as our text says uh, that they were broken or confused rather and helpless I began to look up these words, and it very interesting, other translations, they were distressed and scattered, they were harassed, and they were cast away, they were confused and aimless, faint and cast aside, troubled and wandering, worried and helpless, bewildered and helpless. This is the picture, the word picture that is used there, that humanity is broken, humanity is devastated by sin and the devil. It doesn't take us long to read 
the newspapers of people who, you know, we had the recent arrest of the, the you know, the, the guys murdering and believe it or not, he, you know, they, he had been looking up escort services and pornography on his computer and murdering women, broken, broken humanity. That there are all sorts of issues, homelessness, uh, home, fatherlessness, people addicted, people broken in our society. They need help. It's hard to read this scripture and not think about Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path and followed our own. Yet the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. This, of course, is the great prophecy text of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53. But we all, like sheep, have drifted, gone our own ways. There are a million paths that people go to towards destruction that are out there, that are absolutely destroying and wrecking people's lives. I could talk about the divorce rate, fatherless homes. I could talk about addictions. I could talk about all sorts of uh, things that begin to affect uh, people's lives and are devastating to them. On top of that, we have the devil at work. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan, who is the God of this age, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is in the exact likeness of God. That they're blinded, the Bible says. They're just groping in the dark. They're looking for something. They're looking for answers. And the world doesn't have them. Jesus talked about the blind leading the blind. That, you know what, scientists and doctors, uh, I believe some of them mean very good. They're not all evil, you know, wretched people. A lot of them have very good hearts. But at the best, they're not dealing with the correct answers because they're not asking the right questions. They mean well, but they can't fix The spiritual condition of humanity. I believe that many, many of the issues that our generation faces, the issues of of guilt and and, uh, stress and some of the mental things, could very well be solved by a spiritual experience. Not a medical, not a, not a drug to cover it up. Jesus, this is why his focus was the harvest. Because he sees humanity as broken. So many Christians, if they get into legalism, see the outside as the enemy. They're the enemy. If you listen to too much talk radio, you'll believe that. They're the enemy to be conquered instead of broken people to be reached. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Mark 1 and verse 38, Jesus replied, We must go to other towns as well, for I will preach to them. This is why I came. Jesus sees broken humanity as the reason why he came. You listen to some preachers, you'd think he came just to give Christians a good life. Just to bless you, just to help you. And, and thank God that is a part of salvation. Definitely have a better life than I would have had, broken and lost, scattered, bewildered, harassed. Jesus came to preach men to preach the gospel. His focus, his focus of the church was laser pointed. Bring this message, this good news, this gospel into all the world. Our text says Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages. Teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news. Healing all kinds of diseases. We're going to look at this just in a quick minute. But the thought there that Jesus went to them. Chapter 10, right after this, the next verse says that Jesus called 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal all kinds of diseases and illness. Jesus says, okay, this is what I did. Now I'm going to commission the 12. You're going to do it. Because 12 can be in more places at one time than one. I don't know if you know that. It's kind of basic math. He says, I can commission them. I can send them out two by two. I did love in the chosen, and and it's totally speculation. Chosen is a television show they're making about the life of Jesus But I loved how they paired off some of the disciples. And I actually believe that in Jesus' mentality, it would have been perfect. And one of them was Simon. He was paired off with Matthew, the zealot, the right-wing extremist, with the betrayer, the extreme Democrat going out to outreach with the extreme Republican. I think that was brilliant. I don't know if that happened, but it does make you wonder. The Great Commission of the Church, Mark 15, uh, 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That his focus, lightning, I'm going to not only do this myself, I'm going to commission people to do this. And our text tells us that he went to them. Pastor Mitchell, it was mentioned at the conference. It was, it's just a great thought. But Pastor Mitchell used to say all the time, either find a crowd or make a crowd. You either find one and go preach to them or you make one. This is why we do concerts and maybe they don't work as well today, but we've done plays. You know, I get a lot of kudos to Logan and Sawyer. They put a lot of work into those. A lot of work. And then 
we do them a couple of times and then they get back burned and they're thinking about the next one. And these take hours and hours and hours of lights and music and recordings and all of that to gather crowds. And we do and they do. They gather crowds. We had 50 visitors for two nights with Ebenezer. I think we had 60 visitors with Hopewell High in the two nights. That's tremendous. An opportunity to preach the gospel. An opportunity to, yes, it helps people break out. You know, uh, it was great to see, you know, Danny and, and, and Lily breaking out, doing lead role. That's tremendous. But don't get so caught up in that. Music scenes were never about the hot solo. They're about who gets saved. Basketball tournament. That's why we'll do a basketball tournament. That's why we go to the marketplace. I love the market. I tell you, when I was overseas, they had a lot of markets like that. And they were always nightmares. But why I love the Rochester market, it's... There you have the most diversity of the city in one place. At one time. The rich, the poor. Pick the skin color. Pick the age group. They're all there. From the upright Amish to the tatted goth person. They're all there. And they're all broken. Going into all the world, Jesus tells us the task of the church is to reach sinners. That is the task of the church. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, verse 23. So his master said, go into the countries and the lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. That's in the parable of those who rejected the invitation to the wedding. Jesus says to his servant, tells, the master says to his servant, Jesus tells us, uh, go and impel, urge those who will come to come in. That's why we do this. This now gets into the thought of the Father's house, the planting of churches. I want to plant more churches. I've mentioned before, Cleveland, Erie, Buffalo is now ours to have. Binghamton, Poughkeepsie, the capital area, Utica. These are all in just a couple hour drives. Never mind, you get into some of the larger cities like New York and Long Island, like Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or the whole state of New Jersey, which is just two suburbs, actually. Right? The northern part is the suburb of New York City, and the southern part is the suburb of Philadelphia. It's the only, char- it's the only state that doesn't charge you to get out, but every state that you go out of New Jersey, they charge you to come in. That's the truth. Jesus tells us to pray. He looks at his disciples and he says, after he's moved with compassion, and he gives them an example that we're going to look at in just a minute, but he says in verses 37 and 38, 
The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into his harvest field. Jesus wants you to pray because when you pray, it becomes yours. When you pray for something, it's hard to pray disconnected. Oh yeah, God, I pray, help them do whatever they need to do. Let's go get lunch, right? It's, you pray that way. When you start praying for something, you begin to have a vested interest in that. When I was evangelizing, I got, uh, I evangelized for two years, and which basically means I went to different churches and preached. And I walked into the Palmdale Church. Palmdale is pastored by Jack Miller, who, if you don't know, is Bethany's father. Bethany Morales' father. I walked into that church. A man walked up to me and went, you're Keith Sullivan, right? I said, I think so. Does he owe you money? Because uh, uh, if he owes you money, I'm probably not him. Right? Just joking with the man, and the man with a tear in his eye says, when Jeff Renz was our pastor, he passed out some missionaries' names. And I got yours in Lithuania. And I have prayed for you. And I have prayed for Lithuania. Now this has got to be 12 years later. But it was his. He made it his. He had never been to Lithuania. He wasn't Lithuanian. He had never met me. Till that moment. He made it his. You can't pray for something profoundly and not take possession of it. I can tell those who pray for outreach will be on outreach. And those that don't, barring obstacles such as work or physical limitations won't life application bible says of this jesus looked at the crowds following him and referred to them as fields ripe for harvest many people are ready to give their lives to christ if someone would show them how jesus commanded us to pray that people will respond to this need for workers often when we pray for something, God answers our prayers by using us. Be prepared for God to use you to show another person the way to Him. That's why Jesus says, pray. As I'm praying for Cleveland, as I'm praying for Erie, as I'm praying for Buffalo, Binghamton, Poughkeepsie, I'm feeling that, you know what? going to be on us because as I read the churches and you know great one to North Carolina yay east coast but that was about it if they ain't coming then we should get going 
Your prayers will follow your investments of time and money. What you pray for is what you'll give your time for. What you give towards will be linked back to your prayers. I'll just add right here, this is why your lack of tithe to a local church is offensive to God. Our biggest expense, not this year because of the parking lot, it'll actually be the building. But our biggest single expense year after year after year after year after year after year after year is church planning. 42.75 goes out the door every month for church planning right now. Paul works backwards in Romans 10. Verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon him to save them unless they have believed? And how can they believe upon him whom they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? As the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers that bring good news. Working backwards, time and money. Sending. How are they going to get saved in Buffalo? How are they going to get saved in Utica? How are they going to get saved in Binghamton? How are they going to get saved in Cleveland unless someone goes and tells them? That's what he's working backwards towards. That's the key that he's looking for, is that working back. That includes local. How, you know, we're going to go to Cobbs Hill, and we're going to ruin some people's days. And I'm not going to feel bad about that at all. That I'm hoping when they go home and smoke dope or try to sleep with their girlfriend who they're not married to, they are going to feel convicted. I hope that's the case. Because a lot of them you'll talk to, oh yeah, their mama or their grandmother was a Christian. Yeah, well that's great, but you know what? God has no grandchildren. How are you going to get into heaven? God is looking for workers for His harvest. This is the purpose. This is what Jesus came to do. What's your prayer for the harvest? Is Is there a prayer for the harvest? Does your personal lack of fruit bother you? Give me souls, lest I die. John 4, Jesus tells his disciples, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say to you, wake up. Oh, that the church would become woke. But anyway, and look around. The fields are already ripe. For harvest. The harvesters are paid a good wage, and the fruit they harvest is for the people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Let's talk about our part. Jesus tells us that the first issue is you're going to have to pray. 
this may mean you have to modify some of your prayer life. Jesus doesn't make this a request as much as he makes it a command. So pray to the Lord in charge of the harvest to send out more workers. He doesn't make a request. If you don't mind, somewhere between bless me and save grandma, if you wouldn't mind praying for the harvest field. He doesn't do that. He says, so you pray. When you pray. So. He doesn't make it a request. He puts that before us. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That's Solomon at the dedication of the temple. It's very interesting. I was reading this and it came to me in just a fresh light. Elijah, James tells us about Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. He said he was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heavens gave forth rain and the earth produced its fruit. And it jumped out at me, the prayers connected to the rain which produced the fruit. Prayers linked directly to fruit. And if that's not good enough for you, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So there's the link of our prayers for the harvest field. There's the second looking for workers. In our text, it tells us that Jesus, when he preaches, he prays for the sick and they get healed. Verse 35, he went to all the, uh, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages, the areas teaching in the synagogues, announcing or preaching or proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and sickness. Miracles are undeniable. They're a mark that set us aside. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again because it was such a vivid mark of my life. When I was standing on the corner in Cork, Ireland, looking around at the Jehovah Witnesses had their little place and the Mormons had their little place and the Muslims had their table set up just like they do at the spring at the uh, Rochester market now and the Catholics would hold their street meeting the Harry Krishners would march and all of this is going on and I could stand at one street corner and see most of them in one 180 swipe And I said, God, it's just me and my wife here. How are we going to make impact? And God smote my heart and said, miracles. I had argued and could have argued doctrine with all of them. 
I could tear apart the Mormon doctrine. I could tear apart the Muslim doctrine. I could tear apart the Catholic doctrines. I could tear apart the Jehovah Witnesses doctrine. That's not an issue. I can use their own scriptures to show them how insane they are. That's easy. That's just some education. But me tearing them down doesn't build the kingdom of God. Miracles. Miracles of conversion. Miracles of healing. That's the mark that changes everything. And Jesus is looking for workers. Matthew 20 and verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So how do you see the harvest? Is it Democrats to be beaten? Is it sinners to be mocked? Sin does a pretty good job of mocking itself. Or is it a harvest to be reached? Amos 9 and verse 13, the very famous scripture says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grains, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. The imagery here is amazing. Amos says that, you know what? You're going to be planting seeds and there's going to be fruit in front of you before you even get there. That it's going to be that you're sowing, but you're reaping more than you're sowing. That the time is reversed. You're actually reaping and then sowing. That it's going to be an acceleration of what God wants to do. Some have said that this scripture in Amos chapter 9 verse 13 is a last days prophetic scripture. That it's going to become a force in the earth to be reckoned with. Revelation 14, verse 15 says, Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, said, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come you reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now I know that is talking about the actual last, last days, literally right before the millennium starts. But I believe that that also is a prophetic Scripture of our generation, an implication or an application to our day. We live in a day where the harvest is ripe. Sin is overplaying its hand. People are so confused, so lost, so weary, so they're looking for truth, truth that will save their soul. One plus one is two is true, but it's not truth that will save their soul. There are things in life that are true, but they need spiritual truth. Jesus looks at the multitudes with compassion. 
You know, I have to confess. When I became an evangelist, I remember one of the first places I got to go preach was Zambia. And then I stopped in Abu Dhabi. And I got to preach in these two nations and saw the multitudes and the third world factors and, and it just, it just broke my heart. But it also, I felt in my element. I'd been a missionary for 14 years. I get off the plane and there's these, this group of Americans, they're trying to figure out how to, they're going to buy their visa. And I'm like, I just whipped around and got the visa, got out. You know, I went up to, they're checking the luggage as we're going out. One of the very few places I've ever seen that. They want to match the tags with the name and everything. And so I show him my passport and the man's there and I'm like shaking. I'm like, this is a great country. I appreciate that. He smiles and, you know, happy that an American would praise him. Go out, begin to preach song. Just precious souls everywhere. Go to Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi makes Las Vegas look like a Boy Scout playground. I had never, I had to get up at three in the morning and I can spare you some of the details, but I got to the lobby and I was scared. And believe me, I've been overseas long enough that I, you know, I'm not nervous to be in, there I was nervous. There were prostitutes, there were guys smoking hooky pipes all night long, and I got to pull out my American passport. I was nervous. Harvest to be reached. Could talk about Cleveland. The great northern port of the United States. There's no church, no, no currently no fellowship churches in or around the Cleveland area. 4.5 million people need to hear about Jesus. There's over a million in the Monroe County area. Need to hear about Jesus. It's amazing how this is really the end of a lot of church squabbles, personality clashes. I close with this illustration. The United States military in 1940 it's just a bunch of guys really was just a bunch of guys. There weren't that many ladies in it. And in Hawaii, the Army and the Air Force would go to the same bars and get in fights every night. It was a common thing. 1940s, 1941, Army guys thought they were better than Navy guys. Navy guys thought they were better than Army guys. The Marines were there, but they were really under the Army. The Air Force was part of the Navy, uh, the Army at this point. There was no separate Air Force. So it was just those two. And they would scrap and tough, and arrests were made constantly. Drunken sailors, drunken soldiers. But then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And suddenly... 
there were no more fights in the bars. Suddenly, there was a focus. Suddenly, there was a reason why we were doing what we're doing. And the squabble over who's better, who's more equipped, who's smarter, who's this, all disappeared. Other side of the pond, Atlantic Ocean, June 6, 1944. The Marines were trying to take the toughest place at D-Day. Rock something. It's this sheer cliff wall they were climbing up. The USS Missouri came in, parked, aimed its guns, and really battered the Germans. It's one of the last places, if you go to Normandy today, that has the remnants of the war. The others are beaches, and there's just tourists sunbathing out there, which may be more scary than D-Day. But anyway, a Marine that day said, I wanted to find someone on the USS Missouri and shake his hand because he saved our lives that day. Because it became a common goal, defeat the enemy. Tell you, focus on the harvest field. Ends a lot of minute issues. If you've been consumed with the minute, it's because your focus is not on the harvest field. It's not where the heartbeat of Jesus really is. Pray to the Lord of the harvest and your focus can become right. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this morning and maybe you're not right with God. Not born again, not saved, not someone who knows Jesus in a personal way. It's the heartbeat of God that He wants to save you. As I described, as Jesus did, He saw the multitudes, they were confused and helpless. Distressed, wandered, scattered, confused, faint, cast aside, worried, bewildered. If that describes your spiritual condition... That's because you're lost and trapped in sin. You're without Jesus. And you need help. The good news is that's why Jesus came. To focus our hearts. And to give us relationship with God. To give us truth that heals us. He healed their diseases. Mental, physical, emotional. He can touch your life. You're here this morning. You're not right with God, but you want to be. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Say, you know what? I'm willing to turn from my sins. I'm willing to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to change my life. Anyone at all, very quickly. Maybe you're backslidden away from God. You knew God at one time, but you've let sin back in, and it's done these very things to you. You want to give your life to Jesus. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Not right with God. Not saved. Not born again. Anyone at all. Very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. Jesus wants us to focus on the harvest field. Focus on reaching souls. 
pray for God to use your life and all that he wants to do. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to worship God, give him praise. I bow my knee. try that again while these pray Father right now God Randy, just play it. Uh, I you the author of my faith Sing the chorus one more time. Let's give him praise. Let's worship him. Father, we love you. We praise your name, God. We glorify you. Oh,